Hey everybody, this is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. We have a great episode lined up today, but before that, a word from our sponsors, World Business Chicago. In 2021 alone, local founders have raised more than $5 billion in VC dollars, making Chicago a national destination for founders, investors, and innovators. As the city of Chicago's economic development organization, World Business Chicago drives growth and opportunity for our local tech economy and innovation ecosystem through its flagship programs such as the Chicago Venture Summit, Startup Chicago, Think Chicago, and Venture Engine. Learn more via worldbusinesschicago.com. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us on Chicago Capital. It's a true honor to have the first person from Seven Wire on the show. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to talk about your kind of background and, and your path to venture capital and how you got to Seven Wire Ventures. I think that'd be a great place to start. I love it. Happy to do so. Your time sort of, you know, I know you went to UW, uh, you went to, you know, Proud Badger. So, you know, after undergrad, what was kind of your path following undergrad? Sure, sure. So I'll start. I actually grew up here. I grew up in the North Suburbs. I'm one of five kids and went Big Ten. That was sort of the thing to do. My parents, Big Ten, four out of the five of us went Big Ten. I loved, you know, going to Wisconsin, go Badgers. And as I was thinking about my next step, I got recruited to join a firm in DC called the Advisory Board Company. And that is really, you know, for me, healthcare had always been part of my DNA. My father's an orthopedic surgeon. Actually, now my sister is, she just masked yesterday for her fellowship to be a trauma surgeon uh, at Emory in Atlanta, which is great. Yes. Uh, and I have another sister who has a master's in child life. So a lot of us, interestingly enough, sort of touch healthcare. And I ended up, uh, joining the advisory board company, it's a healthcare technology and consulting firm based out of DC, really focused on transforming, particularly at the time, how providers think about innovation, how they think about new technologies to really change um, what they were doing. And, and my job became somebody who launched new technologies um, and did solution selling and eventually managed teams for uh, for the company. And so it was very interesting. I was on a plane probably every day, sometimes two times a day. Uh, I was in a different city. Um, you know, health systems are the largest employers in almost every single county in the U.S. And so I went to some of the major cities in, in this country, and I went to you know, Rock Springs, Wyoming, in the middle of Alabama. Um, I was, when I was put on the road, I was 23 years old. I actually wasn't old enough to rent a car. And my company had to pay extra insurance so that I could rent the car. I mean, I, it sounds like it was part of the job. They just had to stomach that high insurance premium. But that's incredible. Did, did that time traveling, I mean, how did that kind of impact your sort of career development did you did you know you ultimately wanted to come back to chicago did you did you just you know the wear and tear of traveling made you realize you wanted more of a, a you know a job that let you stay in place how did that sort of time impact your next career decisions you know 
I say overall, I loved it. Like I, I still travel a fair bit. It was very interesting for me personally, because one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm more of an extroverted person. I surround myself with a lot of people. Again, I come from a big family. I, I thrive in chaos. But this was the first time I sort of had to learn to be alone, which was very interesting, um, where, you know, you're navigating, you're landing at midnight in the middle of nowhere. Um, and some scary things happen, some amazing things happen, but I got to see friends all over the country. Um, and at a very young age, I was presenting to very large health system executive teams and boards, right? 20 people around the table, really convincing them of um, where the new technologies and services that we were launching were going to be right for their organization. So for me, I ended up, um, I actually... Uh, moved back to Chicago. So my now husband is crazy enough. Also from here, we are the same age. We grew up 15 minutes away from each other, but we met living in DC. He ended up uh, getting a job here a bit earlier than we thought. And so I went remote for the advisory board. So at that point, by the time I was starting to think about business school, we were living here and, um, it, it really was not like, you know, obviously the travel got a bit exhausting, but it was really about, I had, I had learned so much on top line growth and really managing, you know, my mini business within, within, in, within a, a much larger business. But I, I felt like if I really wanted to think about being a, a true manager, you know, CEO, um, supporting companies, I, I felt like I needed a more holistic experience. And that, that's really what led me to business school. Um, I did not at that point say, you know, I'm going to be a venture capitalist. I did not grow up as a little girl dreaming of being a VC. It, it was something that, you know, came to me later in life. And frankly, all the people who are, you know, the undergrads who we meet with who are like gung-ho VC are light years ahead of, of where I was. And so I think there's a lot of paths to be successful in this world, this industry. And for me, I, I took a bit more of a non-traditional path. I, to your point in college, if you asked me what venture capital was, I would have just pointed to Silicon Valley, the show, and just been like one of those guys they're pitching to, or like, like that's, I think that's what that is, but I have no real idea. Um, I'd love to, to, to learn a little bit more though, about the spark that led you into VC. Was it your time at Booth? Was it classes you took and maybe an internship you had? How did that sort of spark really happen? Sure. So uh, the very first class at Booth I took was called Entrepreneurial Discovery, uh, taught by Mark Tebby. And, you know, the nice thing about Booth, and I, I got into a number of business schools, I was very lucky. And I, one of the reasons I chose Booth for me was um, the flexible curriculum, right? The ability to take whatever you wanted at any time. And frankly, if I had took a set schedule of courses my first year, would I have landed where I am today? And I'm not sure. Um, but I, I took that class, I was sort of fell in love with the ecosystem. And there's such a symbiotic relationship between entrepreneurship and venture capital. And I said, um, you know, this seems really interesting. And I sat down with Mark and he said, Professor Tebby, and um, he said, I, I think this is something that you could do if you really wanted to. And um, interestingly enough, uh, he was he was a big encourager of mine. A lot of people were very uh, created friction for me along that way, saying, "Well, you weren't an investment banker. I don't think that's going to work." And I am someone that if you tell me that I cannot do something, it will motivate me to the end of time. And so, um, it I and when I commit, I commit all in. And so I said, 
I'm doing this. And I, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what was your plan B? What if you didn't get a job at, you know, Pritzker, we talk about my later, you know, how I, I sort of ended in a full-time career, but um, I said, I don't know. I didn't have a plan B, right? It didn't, didn't work that way. It's, I chose one path. I said, this is for me and I'm going to do whatever I can to get there. So uh, I ended up not getting my first opportunity through Pete Wilkins at High Park Angels. Uh, I worked for them and, and their team for a year. They were fantastic. Uh, I did a lot of sourcing. I actually sourced the deal, but ended up getting having an exit, which was really exciting. Uh, although I did not have any monetary incentive, uh, it was you know a good you know a moral win, I guess we'll say. Um, yep. I then uh, spent my summer. I worked with Nina Nassif, who's become a very good friend of mine at Healthbox, uh, running their accelerator program, and then. Um, you know, around that time, uh, also started ideating on a company and, 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 and sort of a, a twisted series of events ended up starting a company with my best friend, Mitch Kirby at the time, who's still, still one of my best friends. Um, and he and I built a business, uh, called Transparent Career. And, um, with, with the expectation, you know, I was always going to stay with the business for about a year and then I was going to go and I ended up uh, going full time with the Pritzker group. But it was this like crash course in entrepreneurship where it was a whirlwind of building from nothing. Mitch taught himself how to code by taking one of the coding classes. He's like a phenomenal human and incredibly bright. Um, we ended up growing to like 60,000 plus users. We actually won the new venture challenge. We ended up raising a, a venture capital round. So I pitched to all the people who are now colleagues and friends of mine, uh, raised just under a million dollars. And, um, you know, ultimately that business, we, we ended up, you know, recognizing that I think we moved very quickly and, and the market wasn't as big as we thought. And ultimately we found a nice home for that business, one that, you know, it continues to thrive in today. Um, and I really moved on to, to go full time at that point into institutional investing with the Pritzkers. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, the combination of business school and sort of being in your own startup, I think is just probably the best of all worlds before you enter into a full-time VC role. Um, and I'm curious about, you know, your experiences at Pritzker and then, you know, your move to Seven Wire, I think makes a ton of sense looking at your background. It, it's kind of the confluence of your early career sort of role and, and almost it seems like there's a family vested interest in healthcare. Um, so I would just love to hear about sort of that progression and that arrival at Seven Wire. Sure, sure. So Prisker was an amazing experience for me. I think it really taught me foundationally what it means to be an institutional investor. They have fantastic processes and infrastructure and resources to really understand how to do a diligence process, how to evaluate deals. I looked at all different kinds of deals. Um, it was a generalist fund, you know, 8 billion AUM, three asset classes. And But for me, I spent most of my time in healthcare. I also did emerging markets. Uh, I led the emerging market strategy where I would go um, to Israel, particularly a couple times a year, mostly industrial tech and robotics. And then I did a couple of, of consumer deals. Um, I sat on the board of Savala, which is a smart oven and, and um, food service company that's doing extremely well right now. And David, uh, the CEO, still remains a good friend of mine. Ultimately, for me, um, I was very happy at Pritzker. I thought that I love the team and the people I worked with. I'm so close with them. I think so. If you ask me what gets me out of bed in the morning, right, like where I am in my life, it's 
you know, while it was so fun to invest in custom furniture and mattresses and, you know, like to be a, I did beauty brands, like to be a consumer of your companies. At the end of the day, I'm a very mission driven person. I love healthcare. All I want to do all day is live and breathe how we can transform the world that we're in. I had known the seven wire team forever. And from my vantage point, they were really one of the best healthcare firms in the country in my backyard. And for personal reasons, you know, I was staying here at that point. I just had my first kid. My family's here. My husband and I just bought a house here. Like we were, we, we wanted to stay. And the team approached me and I ended up making the decision to come over. Um, and frankly, it's, it's been one of the best decisions that I ever made um, because I get to do what I love every single day. I get to build what I love. Um, and, and I can talk about our model, but for a number of reasons, it very much matches my ethos, like who I am as a person. And, and just we're a bit different in how we think about what is venture. And I think we're much more on the builder side. And for me, it satiates a lot of a lot of things that I needed that I felt like I was maybe missing at it more, more of just traditional institutional investing. I'd love to learn, like, I'd love to dig into Sevenwire. Um, you know, as you said, it's such a reputable firm. I can't believe we haven't had anybody from there yet on the show. Um, and I know listeners would love to learn more about the model, about the mandate. Um, so if we could just go through that, that'd be great. Sure, sure. So we are really focused exclusively on digital health companies under a thesis that we call the informed, connected health consumer. So everything that I do in this world is all about empowering people like you and I, Matt, to be better stewards of our own health. And so what I think about is how can technology and services meet people where they are? And at the end of the day, how are we getting access to our own information, connecting into the system to improve health outcomes? So if a company does not do that, and again, it could be very successful in healthcare. It could be focused on you know, provider efficiency or back office management or RevCycle. That's great, but that's not the world I'm trying to build. This is my true norm. And the second, you know, probably biggest differentiator for us is we're what we call an operator-driven model. We're all former operators. The fund was founded, our managing partners, by Glenn Pullman and Lee Shapiro, titans of industry. They've taken you know, four companies public. They run multi-billion dollar businesses. And really what we focus on is we're very concentrated. We do a lot, much fewer deals. And we get very involved with our companies and really help our companies to grow. And so I spend so much time with my CEOs in the weeds, strategically, tactically, doing whatever I can to make them and help them to become successful. And because of this, right, because we have a specific thesis, because we are really focused on, again, this operator-driven model, we actually can be pretty creative, which is really fun. Um, we end up about 80% of the time we invest in companies, about 20% of the time we start companies. We do new co-creation and what we call hatch. So most notably, um, our, our biggest hatch was called Livongo. That business went public in 2019. Sounds like you know it. In 2020, we merged with Teladoc Health for $18.5 billion. Um, we started a couple of others, um, Transparent, which now Grant, Glenn is CEO. We're actually working on a hatch. I'm working on a hatch right now, which is taking up a good amount of my time. So it's um, it's really interesting. Like I don't I don't want to start companies. Right? We don't want to. We would. It's much easier to just direct invest. But when we feel like the market is not solving a problem, and we look at every single opportunity, and we feel like they're just point solutions, we will roll up our sleeves and we'll go out and build it. And so it's it's been really interesting. 
Um, we have amazing partners, our fund. So uh, fund one was a hundred million. Fund two was supposed to be a hundred, same strategy, same thing, but we got oversubscribed to 150. And it's really um, about 60% of our LPs are strategic. So health plans, providers, uh, pharma, self-insured employers who work with us, who work with our companies as co-investors, as customers, as even sometimes lead investors to really help drive value. I mean, so the Lavongo example is fascinating. Do you guys have almost a separate team, uh, like an operating or a platform team that once you get this idea from, let's say, zero to one, and it's maybe commercially viable, do you then have sort of full-time professionals who you plug into the team or do you go and outsource people to come and work? How does that sort of, what's, what's kind of the dynamics of, you know, where you guys bring in sort of outside help and, and really try and get something, um, you know, to, to a series A or a series B? So we, it, it's us. Uh, so that, that is, you know, we are a small team. And I say our limitation is not capital, it's time. Um, we don't always take management. So in like the, the um, Home Thrive is a good example of business that we founded and we brought in two amazing healthcare operators to run it. Um, but we don't hire EIR to ideate for us, right? We don't, um, you know, pay people to think of ideas or even to do some of the execution. For us, it's really about, it all comes from our team. Um, we have a small team. We have four investing partners, um, an operating partner, senior associate and analyst, and we just hired a director of communication. So we're about a seven-person full-time team. We, and then obviously like our amazing administrative support, we um, we really, frankly, like, I don't know what it'll look like in the future, right? I don't know if it becomes more rinse and repeat. I think one of the things I'm working on right now is CEO recruitment for um, the, the new hatch that we're thinking about. And frankly, it's, it's definitely one where we have so many amazing people on our network and it's really about finding the right person with the right vision who we think is a good partner, but we, we are very involved. And sometimes we actually take management roles. So as you see, you know, Glenn was CEO of Livongo. Uh, he then stepped into executive chair and we actually, uh, stepped in as CFO. There's a funny story where um, the board decided that they were going to take Livongo public. Lee stepped out to take a phone call. And when he came back, they told Lee, well, you're going to be CFO. We all decided. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. But frankly, it, it, you know, it accelerated our, our time to market by, you know, six plus months. So we didn't have to do a search and uh, Lee stayed as CFO through the Teladoc merger. And then, and then, uh, you know, both Lee and Glenn came out of that business and then Glenn, uh, you know, ended up stepping in as CEO of Transcure. So it is, we will do it in some cases. Um, but I think for us, it's really about how to find the right partners that will build with us and, and help execute on the visions that we have. So these ideas for Hatch, do these usually come from, you're in the normal course of due diligence for a potential startup and you just talk to a ton of subject matter experts, maybe potential consumers of a product and, and you uncover kind of a, you know, a white space, or is it from your strategic LPs who are, you know, you're having constant conversations with what do you need? You know, what products do you need that you don't see yet in the market? How, where are these ideas really coming from um, in, in your past experience with Hatch? Yeah, it's, it's from all of the above, right? So we're thematically driven. Um, what I do is I spend a lot of my time thinking about not just our overarching thesis, but sub-theses and sub-markets. And we do what we call market maps um, on behalf of our strategic LPs. So we'll look at you know, oncology and we'll look at 
women's health and we'll look at um, sleep and we'll look at, you know, we just looked at digital pharmacy. And um, so we'll kind of look at all these different subsectors. We'll map all of the players, right? And we'll basically identify where we think is there is white space. And then we will go out and we will try and find a company in that white space. And if we can't, then we will go and build something. So, you know, what I'm working on right now is I, I found the white space. I knew what I was looking for. And I basically met with every single company that potentially could have more or less touched that spot. And frankly, I felt like nobody was really doing it. And that's when we decided to say, you know what, this is a green light opportunity to move forward. We, we will do things, a little bit of hybrid hatch where we'll take an existing asset and we will really change the business model into something that we feel like can be much more successful. We've probably done that about four or five times. You know, we did an oncology market map in 2019. We felt like we couldn't find anything. We were actually going to start a company. And then we found a business called Jasper Health. But at the time, Jasper was a direct-to-consumer business with a cancer care registry. And we felt like the material opportunity was more in a B2B2C, uh, working with health plans and self-insured employers. And so we uh, decided to invest in that business. We pivoted the model. We brought in Adam Pellegrini, who was an executive at CBS and also formerly American Cancer Society. Um, and kind of went off to the races, which was pretty exciting. So we'll we'll take assets and we'll modify them in a way that we think can be really successful. I just think it's incredible that your spark, your introduction to why you wanted to be in VC was the class entrepreneurial discovery. And it sounds like you're doing that at the professional level, uh, you know, a significant percentage of your time at Seven Wire. So that's, that's amazing. Um, I'd love to dig a bit into, you mentioned you, you all make such concentrated bets. Um, and, you know, there's a variety of models that I think have really populated the venture capital ecosystem in the past couple of years. You know, you have Tiger Global who writes a check every, every cup of coffee basically throughout the day. And, you know, you guys are more of, in, you know, intensive, I would imagine with your due diligence process because you're making such, such concentrated bets. So I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your due diligence process, you know, how long it takes and, and sort of the steps and the framework that you all use to, to get to yes. Sure. So, you know, interestingly enough, I think we try to be quite disciplined in what's a need to know versus a nice to know. Right. And, that I think sometimes diligence processes can get out of hand because you're just like seeking information for information's sake versus decision-making questions. So for us, we can actually move very swiftly. That's one of the benefits of a small team. Um, we are unanimous for so the four partners. We all have to decide and agree because we're a team-based model. We don't say, hey, okay, fine. So you do that, but you know, good luck on you. It's we all need to help the business. And so for us, that becomes very important. And our process can take, you know, we end up meeting folks pretty early. So a lot of entrepreneurs will come to us, even in ideation, to say like, hey, we know you're builders. We have an idea. What do you think of this? And we'll watch it over time and get to know them and eventually decide to lean in and make it that, you know, a deal I'm doing right now with an entrepreneur that we've known uh, you know, the CEO actually came from um, an incumbent organization, left that organization, started a business, and raised the seed round, and now is raising the A, and we're coming in at the A. And we've known him even since before he was CEO of this business. So um, our, a lot of our process is our, is our network. A lot of our process, again, we know what we want. So we know what we're looking for when we see it. So it's very easy to whittle deals down quickly. And then when we think 
see things we like, we'll go to our network, we'll actually take them to potential customers and we'll watch them pitch to a potential customer to see if you know they, we think that they were going to be successful. And it becomes a win-win-win, right? I get to see someone sell. The entrepreneur gets to you know walk into Sigma and, and pitch to one of the biggest health plans in the country. And, and Sigma gets to actually see a solution that they really were looking for, right? I'll only make that introduction if I think it's going to be valuable to whomever it is that we're pitching to. And in the competitive landscape today, I'm sure that that's a value add on the behalf of of Seven Wired. You're able to get them in front of these these you know sometimes blue chip customers, um, it, you know, at a very short notice. And I'm sure that has to be sort of um, a really sort of positive kind of leave a lasting impact with these entrepreneurs um, and, and really make them feel like they're joining a fund or they're partnering with somebody who does have these deep connections. Um, but I'm curious about kind of you mentioned getting to watch founders sell. I mean, I'm, I'm so unfamiliar with the healthcare ecosystem. It's just not a space I've spent a ton of time in, but I would imagine deep domain expertise is really important. But would you say, you know, the ability to sell, are those sort of two things that you really need to see from founders, you know, that selling ability and that deep domain expertise? Yeah, I'll kind of put a finer um, point on it where one is um, not a sell, but storytell. So I'm a big believer in the power of storytelling. I think that um, founders have to storytell and sell all the time, right? They have to do it with customers. They have to do it with VCs, right? When they're raising capital, they have to do it with team members um, when they're trying to recruit or retain amazing talent. And I think that sometimes if you over-index too much on sort of the operator and not enough on the storyteller, you know, often that there, there can be some challenges there. The second you mentioned industry domain, I call it founder market fit. So like, why is that person or that team the right team to build it, right? Um, you know, Adam, who I mentioned at Jasper, right? He not only came from CVS, had built, you know, an amazing organization there, but also had worked in American Cancer Society, right? Like he had a real affinity and relationship to oncology and cancer care that was really important. I think some of the, the a lot of the people on the team have had personal experiences with the condition or family members that have had the condition. So um, the, probably the best example is one of our CEOs, uh, Stephen Smith, the founder of a business called NoCD, N-O-C-D, it's, it's, you know, Stephen, um, he, it's a business for severe mental illness, really focused on obsessive compulsive disorder. Stephen suffered from that condition. And when he went to seek treatment, there was nothing there. And he has a really, really difficult journey that he's very open about of how hard it was for him to find help. And he said, I never want anybody else in this world to go through what I went through. Right. And that is like, you can't, you can't replicate that type of passion. And I think it's very important in building businesses. So the third thing for me is like the hustler, like the get shit done person, you know, the tenacity of like, I will not stop until we, it's not like, we're successful. We have an exit. It's like, you know, Steven says like, I won't stop until I have helped every single OCD suffer in the entire world. Right. And there's like this, this innate mission driven orientation and like fire in the valley that I, I think is, is frankly like hard to test for sometimes. And there can be some false positives, but ultimately when it's there, it's, it, I think it's one of the most um, insatiable and, and frankly um, accelerating attributes. Yeah, funny enough, went to grade school with Steve Smith. So I think if you'd asked anybody, he was the captain of the football team. Uh, so 
uh, clearly leadership traits being forged early on. Um, and I think it is, it's so true. I think I, I meet a lot of people who have great ideas and, and maybe more dreamers and, and love sort of picturing an idea in its future state. But I think there's a lot of unsexy parts of actually getting a business off the ground. And the only way that you're going to be able to stomach that is, is to have that passion and the fire in the belly. Um, and so I think it's, it's fascinating. You guys get to partner with these founders and really get to see them go through these trial and tribulations and get to spend significant amount of time with them, even before you write a check. Um, I think that's fascinating. You know, one thing I'd love to touch on because you know, you are in healthcare, you are in digital healthcare. Um, COVID. Uh, I, I have to imagine it's been a whirlwind almost two years now at this point. Um, and, and it's almost become kind of a cheap podcast question. Uh, you know, what are some of the biggest changes in COVID? Because, you know, what hasn't changed because of COVID? But what is, in your mind, some of the more salient changes, industry, you know, shifts um, or themes coming out of COVID that, that you're keeping an eye on or that really excite you? Sure. You know, I, I think COVID has been so devastating in, in so many ways. So it's almost awkward to say, like, it's also been such an accelerant for so many of my companies. I mean, frankly, digital health has really thrived in COVID. But the reason is because finally, the industry was forced to change, right? And that became a major and material opportunity. You know, for us, we were in the um, beneficial position where 2016, we raised our first fund on the empowering and informed connected health consumer. That was way before COVID. And that thesis, right, everything that we do is about helping people to be better stewards of their health. And like that is the number one thing in COVID that people are craving, that people are looking for, and the solutions are needed. So we had already laid the infrastructure of investments in companies, right, that were helping to drive um, virtual therapy, right? Telehealth, um, consumer empowerment, whatever it may be. So a lot of big tailwinds, you know, frankly, you've probably, I'm sure you've heard of the big ones. You know, there was a lot of obviously regulatory, um, relaxants around, uh, telehealth reimbursement in particular and where you can get care. There was a lot more in home-based care. So again, meeting people where they are, um, there's, you know, some on like the credentialing side, which is a big issue where, you know, providers could deliver services in seats, uh, you know, outside of where they were credentialed, which was, you know, ultimately still becomes a point of friction. The question is like, how do these stay? Will these stay? You know, a lot of it is still in, um, emergency use or, you know, they're not, um, they aren't fully baked. And I think what we'd like to see is, for frankly, um, CMS to come back and say, look, this has been really successful. And this is, you know, where we think, especially for our rural population, vulnerable population and underserved, that these types of solutions really can reach a lot more people than we thought. And we'll, we'll start to now enact real legislation against it. Did a topic, you know, an area of COVID that, that I think has been top of mind for a lot of people is, you know, dissemination of information and, and trying to understand, you know, what's going on with this virus and, you know, the vaccine, you know, I think however people land on the vaccine, it's obvious that there's just a ton of information out there that consumers can possibly sort of get access to online. It's hard to vet what's real. Is that, is that a space you guys think at all about, you know, sort of the information part of healthcare and how consumers can get access to that and, and the best ways to sort of streamline that. Just curious if that's a space you guys have thought any about. It is, 
not COVID specific. So we haven't named like a, but I will say, you know, we joke, we call it Dr. Google, like Dr. Google is the worst place that you can go. Right. And so um, particularly when we think about, um, you know, we made an investment in business called Brightline, which is for pediatric behavioral health and how parents and kids are trying to research, you know, frankly, we're just getting misinformation, the wrong information. They, you know, the long wait times to try and see a pediatric provider is really, really difficult in behavioral health. So we do, I think it's more encompassing though. It's that's one piece of, you know, we, I like to focus a lot on, you know, I have different theses. One is, you know, verticalized solutions for chronic condition management. So we have an investment, a business called Zerigo, which is for people with um, chronic skin conditions, right? And so there's a way to say, you know, for this population, for what you care about, we're going to get you access to the right. I mentioned, again, Jasper and oncology, it's like mind-numbing how difficult it is to manage your cancer treatment and to, to manage your cancer diagnoses. Like all of a sudden you get five new doc- doctors, like you get a b- bunch of pamphlets that they hand you and you're like expected to know everything. And meanwhile, you're going through chemo and like you, it's impossible to manage yourself. So, so the, my, that is a long way of answering yes. Um, but I don't, it's not really, you know, I, I have not, there's a lot of resources put against COVID information. There's a lot of wrong resources, right? There's, um, there, I saw a lot of jokes when Facebook went down about, you know, how many people would now get vaccinated with, with Facebook going down. Uh, but, but I think for us, we really focus on, um, you know, information as it relates to, you know, how to support whole person care. A topic you had mentioned that I just I forgot and I had to touch on is you mentioned storytelling, the ability to, you know, to be a great storyteller. And so I have to ask on that topic of storytelling, it seems like from your Twitter feed, you haven't, you know, dove into Squid Game yet. I just got to know, you know, what's what's going on? Like, what's going to take? First of all, this, this show is like three weeks old, not even, um, <laughs> but, but, uh, it's no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I told my husband last night, I like, we got it. We got to see what this thing's all about. So, uh, maybe I'll be in a regret spiral. I got a lot of pre-warnings on it, but we'll yeah. see, man. See. <laughs> I, I'd love to shift our attention in, in our remaining time, um, you know, you're somebody that's traveled across the U.S. Uh, it seems like you've been to every single city um, and, you know, you've spent time in Israel, you spent time abroad. I, I'd love to hear um, what are some of the unique and, you know, aspects of Chicago that that really, um, you know, drove you to want to start your venture capital career here, you know, as opposed to a New York or a Silicon Valley? You know, what do you think is is some of the most promising aspects of the ecosystem here? Sure. So a number of things. I think first for me, it's our people are absolutely incredible. And I think our people have a balance between passion and humility. And frankly, people here are are pretty loyal. And I, you know, in the Bay, it's like, oh, you'll get someone for a year and then they're going to go, you know, they'll, they'll hit their one year cliff investing and then they'll go somewhere else. And I don't think that's the case here. I think people have a passion and a mission that they care a lot about. Um, we also have some of the biggest companies in the world in the Midwest. Like if you're a company, don't you want to build where your customers are, right? Don't you want to build where some of the biggest health systems are, the biggest pharma companies are, you know, I, we have a ton of like CPG here, right? Like why, why would you build somewhere that every time you have to see a customer, you have to get on a plane, right? You want to be somewhere where exactly where those people are and you can build those relationships. And I, frankly, as it relates to venture for me, it's, um, I'll say like big fish, you know what I mean? Like, I think that there's not as many 
VCs here, I think for us and for me and for our team, like there, there is something real about being, being able to make a name in a, in a, a incredible city versus being one of the masses where you're just in the rat race. I'm like, that's not that interesting to me. Like, I don't, I don't want that to be my career. I don't want to wake up one day and say like, all I did every day was attend 10,000 events to like try and get a deal. Like I want to say that I changed healthcare. I want to say that I spent most of my time with my companies helping them to grow. And I do that. And, and I, I feel pretty good about that. Like I go to bed at night and I feel good about that. Um, and ultimately for me, like this is, this is my home. Like I'm not, I'm not leaving. This is Lee's home and Glenn's home and Robert's home and David's home and Rachel and June did. Like it's an, it's our team's home. Like we, um, we grew up here. We raised our kids here. Like, and I think that we we've built multi-billion dollar businesses living here and uh, it can be done. And especially in a post COVID world, you know, the distributed workforce can be really successful. And I don't think that talent should be restricted to one tiny corner of one coast in the country. Totally. I think that makes total sense. And yeah, I, I, I love the, you know, the, the big fish in, in that analogy. One thing that I've always wondered about Chicago as it pertains to healthcare and as it pertains to you guys and, and arch, um, I, I can name on, you know, a, a number of friends from Notre Dame who, who went investment banking here and then went to a private equity health, you know, with a specific focus on healthcare based here in Chicago. Um, does that make it more of an attractive ecosystem for somebody like Seven Wire, you know, early stage investors to kind of have down the street, some of the biggest and most prolific and prominent, you know, private equity, um, maybe growth stage investors? Um, who are just, you know, a walk away. Does that impact your guys' business at all, your your views at all? And and just kind of curious if there's a relationship there. Yeah, I think it's always a good thing to have smart healthcare investors in the city, right? Um, the thing is, we're pretty different in what we invest in. Those private equity funds are much more investing in services, businesses, and healthcare, brick and mortar businesses, um, a little bit less of what we're doing. That doesn't mean that they aren't partners for some of our companies or even potential acquirers one day. So it's it's not a bad thing, but I think what our city needs is just is more capital. And I think it's not just more private equity. I think it's more early stage in particular. Like I'd love to see like a dedicated super early stage healthcare fund here. I'd love to like, you know, I'd love to see like a later stage growth healthcare fund, right? But or even just generalist funds. I think we, you know, the more I celebrate every time a fund in Chicago raises a bigger fund. Like there is plenty of opportunity. There are plenty of companies and there's not enough capital. And so I want us to be the place that entrepreneurs come for capital and that they don't feel like they always have to go to the coast to seek money. Totally. No, I think that makes total sense. And it's definitely a, a sentiment that has been echoed on the show. And I think it's just, it's been a pretty exciting year overall, if you've been following the Chicago ecosystem with the number of unicorns, the number of new funds. Um, so I definitely think there's been, you know, a, a ton of progress made uh, in the last year. I, I'd love to know, Alyssa, you know, final, final question. Um, any investors or, or VC funds um, or content creators that you particularly admire or that you follow? Um, I would just love to hear if there's anyone whose thoughts you just love to sort of, you can't get enough of. Oh, there's so many, there's so many, you know, I'm, I'm glad you saw me on Twitter. I'm like in my new world of, of, you know, Twitter, I, I wasn't a big Twitter user and I have a very good friend. Uh, her name's Chrissy Farr. She was a 
CNBC reporter in healthcare and and now is a, a VC at Omer Ventures, uh, who gave me the hard sell on Twitter. And I, I've sort of learned this whole new world, which has been so interesting. For me, like, I'd say one of the things I value the most is I, I created in Chicago this little like VC moms group with a number of women, some of whom I think have been on this podcast. Um, who we frankly like get together, we get the kids together, the kids all run and play and hang. And then we talk deals, right. And we talk, you know, what's going on at our funds or challenges that we have. And it's just become, you know, a nice evolution of what I think is the modern VC in a way that we can really be successful without foregoing, you know, what it means to, to, to be a mom and, and, and a working mom at that. I think you guys, I think there's more to that. I think you guys are just secretly training the next generation of VCs in Chicago together. It's like, it's a very exclusive club of the next, you know, you know, whiz yeah. kids and VC. Yeah. It's a, it's a three-year-old VC boot camp, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. it is. I <laughs> mean, we've got Gen Z VCs coming out of everywhere, you know, 19-year-old investors. I don't know. We might get to 10-year-old investors soon enough. We might, we might. Alyssa, before, so. I want to I wanna thank you so much for hopping on Chicago Capital. This is an absolute blast. I'm so happy we're finally able to do this. And uh, if people want to find you on Twitter and follow you, I mean, you have 4,000 Twitter followers already. So the fact that you're recent to Twitter, I'm like, that's incredible. But uh, <laughs> if people want to follow you, learn more, uh, where can they go? Alyssa Joy Jaffe, two F's and two E's. Awesome. Alyssa, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you.